Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the world of tech. I'm Tom Chitty and with me is CNBC's senior tech correspondent Arjun Karpal. 24-7 support, bundled offers and user reviews are all part of the services you'd expect when hiring a software developer on the World Wide Web. Head over to the dark web and those same professional services are also being advertised by developers of ransomware, an increasingly popular tool used by criminal groups to extort money from people and businesses. In this week's episode, we're doing a deep dive into how these cyber attacks work, what companies are doing to defend themselves against it, and how they ultimately get resolved. Beyond the Valley. So, Black Friday and Cyber Monday are over. How much money did you spend? I didn't get sucked in, Tom. Didn't get sucked in because you know I don't believe I don't believe it sometimes. Some of the deals. I I think I I genuinely think it. I find it quite stressful. The amount of emails that I received over the last few days is astonishing, and I just felt compelled to buy something, and it took every ounce of willpower to not. It. It, it's sad. It's like these these retailers are preying upon our fear of missing out, isn't it? That's what they're doing. FOMO. They're like, FOMO, buy this now or you would have missed the best deal ever on an air fryer. You know? <laughs> and you know how you like air fryers. Well, I was going to ask you about that, but I didn't want to go on a tangent. Do you think that they are increasing prices a little bit before they then make these supposed discounts? They, they could do. They could be. It's hard to know. It's hard to. I just. I just never. You know. It's always interesting looking after these promotions are done, right? Like like the week after, and actually remembering a product that you didn't buy, and we're like, oh, it's, it's actually not much more expensive, or it, it's even cheaper sometimes. That I've seen that before. Yeah. You know, I have seen that. And then also, it's all the devil's in the detail of these because you go in, they go, oh, you know, fifty percent off, and then you go in, and then it's either really none of the products you want to buy. Or it's packaged with like three other products that you have to buy to get the 50%. And then you're paying what you were going to pay for the original item, but you've got three extra things you didn't really want. Yeah. And you end up just buying a lot of rubbish you don't really need. Uh, and then you think you've got a good deal. A few months down the line, you're like, why have I, why have I purchased that? <laughs> and, you know, so I'm, I'm done. I'm done with it. I'm done, <laughs> I'm done with it all. I, when I was in... When I was living in China, they had a thing called Singles Day there mm. uh, on 11-11 every year. It's so 11th of November every year. Um, now, that that was a that was a shopping festival, if ever I'd seen one, in terms of discounts and things like that. So believe it or not, some of the, you know, uh, Chinese retailers who have expanded overseas um, were offering those similar kind of deals, and they had some pretty good offers on. I bet. And um, we are also out like, well, I read in the news today, it was on CNBC.com, that, um, you know, in the US that's been seen huge number of sales over this last uh, few days. I think that's also tied in with the th- Thanksgiving and things like that. But um, it does work. It does work. Yeah. I'm telling you the FOMO. The FOMO. 
It's all about the FOMO. <laughs> um, okay, before we get to our, uh, back to our main story, later in the episode, we'll also be talking about Elon Musk, who's been in Israel meeting with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. And we'll also discuss TikTok owner ByteDance because uh, the company has cut hundreds of jobs in its gaming unit, a part of the business that the company has invested billions of dollars in. But before we get into that, we've got to hear Arjun's stat of the week, which is... I actually bothered to find one this week, Tom. Well done. Uh, 1.7 million. Um, don't look at my notes. It's the answer's on there, so okay. don't look at them All now. Right. It's like but 1.7 million. <laughs> Were you one of those kids that was just yeah. like, well, you put your hand... Like, don't look at that. Yeah, I definitely covered all my <laughs> notes and then wrote you know, with the pencil, and yeah. then, you know, my notes were covered so nobody could see them. Almost wrote maybe a fake answer just to throw them off. Yeah, throw them <laughs> off, and then, you know, the person like, next to me Yeah, you looking. can borrow that. You can have a look at that one. Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> and then, you know, they, they don't get 10 out of 10. And I've... I've rocked, Yeah, because I've crossed out the wrong answer right at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I totally believe it as well. <laughs> the pettiness of it all. I know. I know. <laughs> and you haven't changed. That's what's no, so concerning. That's... Um, yeah, so don't look at my notes. Okay, 1.7 okay. <laughs> million. Okay, all right. Um, right, before we get back to our main story, um, remind our listeners that please email beyondthevalley at cnbc.com. I'll repeat, beyondthevalley at cnbc.com. Um, if you want to uh, ask any questions about past podcasts, this podcast, um, anything that's maybe coming up in tech that you think we should be looking out for. But back to our main story. After a drop in ransomware attacks last year, they are on the rise again in 2023. To give the listeners an idea of the scale of the problem, Arjun, how much money are we talking when it comes to this type of crime? So I was looking at a report by a cybersecurity company called Astra, and, and they're anticipating that ransomware is expected to cost its victims around $265 billion annually by 2031. It's huge sums. It's huge, huge. I mean, it might just be me, but I feel like it's still not appreciated how bad this problem is. And I think that's part in part with the shame that people feel. I imagine you know, as well as I do, people that have been scammed or been held ransom online and, you know, and have given up, you know, lots and lots of money. Um, and cyber attacks have just don't seem to be going anywhere. Absolutely. And I think also partly it, it, it's it's that sort of anecdote or, or example of you might not install an alarm system into your house until it's been broken into uh, and then you take action. And I think that's where at times there are a lot of uh, large organizations and, and smaller and medium organizations that aren't necessarily taking the cyber threat as um, seriously as they could be. Let's Explain to our listener what exactly we're talking about when we say ransomware. So effectively, it's a kind of computer virus that infects a system, uh, you know, perhaps a network of a large organization. Uh, and what it ends up doing once it's sort of integrated into that system, it locks or or encrypts a uh, company's critical data. Um, and once it does that, effectively, the hackers have that data and, and they hold it to ransom, i.e. they ask for money uh, from these companies in order to unlock or, or de-encrypt um, or unencrypt that data. Often that they're asked for cryptocurrency um, as payment. Um, and these kind of 
types of so-called malware or, or malicious software spread very quickly through an organization and oftentimes uh, will take a long time, a few, quite a few days before any kind of uh, cybersecurity system uh, can actually detect the, uh, the, this, this kind of ransomware. When it comes to ransomware, it feels more like businesses that maybe are being targeted. It, it definitely is. It's, it's the businesses because the hackers know that they can actually get a lot of money yeah. out of these businesses, right? And it's often businesses in, say, like the financial um, services area. It's businesses in areas like healthcare where there is a lot of money knocking about and, and that the, the hackers feel like these are industries uh, that they should target. And they also have lots of data personal data a lot of these businesses lots of critical data yeah right? uh, you know whether it's you know medical records or um you know your addresses or banks you know information um yeah really sensitive stuff yeah. and and what's really fascinating is um you know there's all this data and companies are trying to figure out how to protect it but oftentimes you know the weak link um isn't necessarily a, uh, always a company's um networks it's people right it's people uh, and that's part, that's quite an interesting uh, i think discussion in the cyber world so just an interesting re- report um so th- the state of ransomware report released in may 2023 by a company called sophos so they said that ransomware enters the organization in the following ways 36% of the time according to their survey it's an exploited vulnerability i.e. there's a security vulnerability in a system um and that's how hackers are able to explore it and and get this ransomware in. Um, so that's that's about a third, just over a third of the times. 29% uh, is to do with compromised credentials. So say you're an employee at a company and, and, and your login details um, are effectively compromised. Um, somehow hackers have these details to log in Sometimes they could be because maybe you've reused those credentials on another website that's already been hacked and they've managed to get those. Um, It could be through something called phishing, which is where they send you an email uh, or a text message that looks legitimate, looks really real from from someone you think you know. And it's got a link in it and you click that link and you enter some details and somehow they then have your login credentials. Um, That's another way in. So a lot of the time, Actually, it's it's humans are the weak link in a lot of these attacks. And then once the ransom wears in, as I said, it can spread very quickly. Yeah, I mean, I know as a, our company take it very seriously and we're constantly being told to do our training, our cybersecurity training. And, and we're also uh, sent, um, you know, do- dodgy emails to catch us out. I, I spotted one the other day and uh, got given a uh, sort of congratulations email. Back. Did you report it? I did. Good. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Yeah. The companies are definitely taking it really seriously. Particularly the bigger the company, I imagine, the more serious it, the, the issue. And the reason they are taking it seriously is partly <clears throat> regulation too, right? So in the US, for example, the Securities and Exchange Commission is bringing in rules that effectively will mean that companies will have to declare when there's some sort of significant data breach that takes place. And these kind of rules, which puts the onus on companies to declare these data breaches or face punishment, are becoming increasingly popular around the world because regulators are saying, well, look, this is, people need to know if your data has been breached. And and it's fascinating because um, what happens, you know, I don't think a lot of people realize if, for example, you know, a company gets hacked, you've got an account with them, your username and password gets hacked. Those details often end up in the dark web, in a repository of the dark web. And, and people can actually buy 
and we'll get a bit more into the dark web, but people can actually buy a database for very, very cheap of a bunch of hacked credentials. Now, let's say um, you've reused that password on five other websites, including your, your bank, including, I don't know, an e-commerce website you shop on, including wherever else. You know, all of a sudden, these people could have access to a whole world of yours, which could include critical information. So, you know, as a user, if there's a company you've got an account with, you want to know as soon as possible if that's been hacked. So you can think, hold on, have I used this anywhere else? Do I need to change my password? What can I do to protect myself against other um, attacks because I've reused credentials or, or those kind of things? So it, it's it's serious how the sort of knock-on effects of one company can be on, on sort of our lives too. When we talk about the ransoms, we're going to be talking a little bit about whether they're being paid, um, who's paying them. In general, when, when a company gets hit with a ransomware attack, are companies paying up? A high portion do. Um, so one of the reports I mentioned just there from SOFA say 46% of victims paid the ransom and got their data well, what, back. What, sorry, what percentage? Uh, 46%. 46. So quite okay. a large portion of... of, um, of, of that seems large, yeah. Yeah. Um, the the other interesting so, so there there are a lot of people that pay. There's others that refuse to pay. Um, you know, Boeing, uh, the aerospace company, was uh, suffered a ransomware attack quite recently. They refused um, to pay, and then what happened? The ransomware group responsible leaked that data that they stole on the dark web. So that's the consequences, I guess, uh, of not paying. Um, the other issue is if that data is locked up, encrypted, stolen. You may not get it back. So another interesting thing is that organizations need to be backing up their data in case of this kind of attack. And 70% of organizations that used backups do get their data back. So that helps. Um, but yeah, it, it's there, there's still this kind of um, view that, look, why should we pay be paying criminals to get our data? That sets a bad precedent. It does. But obviously the flip side of that is, well, your data goes. Well, exactly. So you're you're either encouraging more ransomware attacks by paying, and who knows, you know, who would be hit next. You could be, you know, targeted again, um, or you've sacrificed your clients and your reputation. Um, yeah, difficult one. Um, when we talk a little bit about the ransomware, I, I sort of alluded to at the top um, about how it's become as though you would buy the services of a software developer, you're buying the services of a ransomware developer. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about the business model behind it. So so just to quickly, I guess, touch upon the dark web. Um, it's it's a, what's the best way to describe it? A secret part of the internet? Yeah. <laughs> An underground part of the internet, which you need to access via special services. Um, it's a lot less traceable. Um, it's not like, sort of everyone will it's not it's not the easiest thing to access always um and so a lot of these criminal groups uh and hacking groups operate on the dark web and so effectively um these ransomware groups will set up shops on the dark web where they sell what they call ransomware as a service you may have heard of software as a service right you know you pay a monthly fee to to buy some software and then use it, right? Whatever your favorite software is. Similarly, there are various business models on the dark web for ransomware. And um, there are these groups known as affiliates, which 
buy the ransomware from these main groups. The affiliates then carry out the attack and they don't need a high level of sophistication. That's the key. These aren't super coders and, and like really sophisticated computer scientists necessarily. They get the ransomware. They effectively get a guide. They deploy it. And it could cost, I saw estimates, of around $40 on the lower end to thousands of dollars to buy so you could you could go and do an attack for forty dollars. And there's subscription uh, services. So you sub you subscribe yeah. to them, and they offer you various different ransomware packages a month. You know. Th that's it. It's it's fascinating. It's like it's like a you know you <clears throat> it's like when you pay for Netflix or or yeah. whatever else. Uh, it's a subscription. There's four business models that I saw, um, which are very quickly worth running through. Um, so for example. The affiliates, the people carrying out the text, they buy it. They take most of the ransom usually. Um, but the the actual groups, the ransomware as a service groups, they get paid for ransomware as well in, in various ways. Um, sometimes if the attack is successful, they might get a cut of the ransom that is earned from that. Uh, there's the subscription, as you mentioned. So the affiliates pay monthly for, for the ransomware. There's also a lifetime license. Lifetime license. If you really... You're really invested... Really <laughs> you get a lifetime license. So users pay uh, basically a one-time fee and have unlimited access. Uh, and they often don't share profits with the ransomware as a service group if they're successful. Um, and along with that, sometimes comes the ability for the ransomware operators to buy source code and modify it to fit their needs. And the other one is just a pure profit-sharing model. So there's lots. And, and with that comes 24-7 support. You know, oh, my ransomware's not working. How can I fix it? Yeah, and there's someone on the phone probably ready to help or online. Online uh, and marketing. Subscribe to the Squawkbox Europe Express podcast. Join Steve, Karen and myself, Arabile, in unscripted and dynamic debate around the day's top stories with first and exclusive interviews of the best in business and global newsmakers, original points of view and instant analysis of the latest business news and key market themes. Get set for the day ahead. Squawkbox Europe Express podcast, now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. So there, there was a <clears throat> there was an attack carried out uh, recently uh, on the U.S. arm of a Chinese bank called ICBC, um, and this was affiliated to a group called Lockbit. Um, they're one of the biggest ransomware as a services groups in the world, and their leader, a person who goes by the name of Lockbitsup. Lockbits up. Well, I think it's more Lockbit support. Right, got you. I think that's where they're going with it. Um, maybe they weren't maybe, trying on the play on word. Maybe, maybe it is. It's brilliant. Uh, <laughs> well, this this Lockbits Up was was offering $1,000 to individuals who tattooed the Lockbit ransomware group logo on their body as a marketing ploy. So so you can... So this, is, this is the... Have you ever been on the dark web? I have. How did you do that? because <laughs> i asked it and they said no. no no so i did it for a video that we did for yeah. cnbc uh explaining what is the dark web um and for that video i needed to just go on there to see what we would and we also filmed part of it um uh you know the screen none of the darker bits um but just the sort of opening landing page to see what it, you know you and like it looks like any other website you might come across um 
e-commerce site. Um, slightly different products. Slightly different. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, I quickly turned it off to, and shut my laptop down, gave it a good restart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I was I was visiting a cybersecurity firm in London. And, you know, they were like, look, we'll show you, you know, you, you're, you're talking a lot. This is a few years ago. You're talking a lot about the dark web. We'll show you what it is. And so went in there and there were, you know, profiles and, and credentials for sale for like a few dollars, um, you know, worth of crypto. Um, it was a it was a dark place. Yeah. Um, but that's that's where all our data goes when it gets hacked. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's not a nice place. Um, stay away, kids. Um <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about so just going back to the profit share I, I, I did read you know because I do like to do a bit of reading up before the the, the podcast uh, but that the average ransom demand is more than two million dollars yeah. um, whilst that's the demand maybe not necessarily how much is paid but you know the profit share model works sounds great when you know it's two million dollars is at stake there yeah a lot up for grabs I mean then then what they've got to do is they've got to like I said usually in cryptocurrency and then they've got to get that out of cryptocurrency to however they they might use it and that's that's was going to be my next question is that how big a role is crypto playing when it comes to cyber attacks and ransom yeah it's mainly in crypto because you you know you can you can get it in cryptocurrency and then use various services to try to hide the movement of money. Now, important to note this, and this is a completely different point, but but cryptocurrency is not untraceable or anonymous. Um, th- this was something that you know a few years ago many people had said, but tracking of these cryptocurrencies has got a lot, lot better. So law enforcement, along with specialist kind of firms to track cryptocurrency, often work together in these kind of cases to... Um, trace the movement of money where it's going does it eventually does it stay in crypto does it eventually uh get moved into others um and then ultimately what they could do is if they figure out where this crypto is going and it's it's gone on an exchange or somewhere else they could reach out to that exchange and try to get them to freeze wallets now there's some exchanges and and companies who won't play ball in this um, and there, there's others that will. But obviously, the hackers usually in these cases try to go through avenues to mask the movement of their money, their services to do that, uh, and get it onto exchanges they know perhaps, uh, and, and various wallet providers they know perhaps won't necessarily uh, comply with law enforcement. So there is that part of it as well. But it's not like the movement of this money can't be traced. Sure, sure. Yeah. Let's move on. Um, AI, when it comes to ransomware, should we be worried about AI's uh, involvement in that? So AI, of course, has been top of mind, I think. With the explosion of this technology, there's a lot of concern. Well, actually, how could hackers be be using this? And I think there's multiple ways. Um, to find out a little bit more about this, I caught up with Pete Nicoletti, who's the Global Chief Information Security Officer for, for Checkpoint, which is a, a, a cybersecurity company. And here's what he had to say. There's two ways that uh, that the criminals are leveraging AI. Number one is on the code side. So if you've gone out to ChatGPT and get a license and you know pay your twenty dollars, you can become a Python expert very very quickly. Um, it writes great Python code, um, and it writes snippets of code. So if you in, if you say, look, I want to create a zero day, the guardrails in in the licensed you know endorsed team products are going to say, no, we're not going to do that. But you can write snippets of code. Say you wanted to say, I want to, I need code, Python code to capture keystrokes. 
Yes, okay. We'll be happy to write that code for you. All right. I want Python code to delete the Windows shadow copy. That's another stage that ransomware does to hide itself uh, from Microsoft Defender and, and other tools that rely on, on the shadow copy. Um, and Checkpoint Research has pointed that out quite often as a, as a big flaw uh, in, in certain tools. Uh, not Checkpoint tools, but other tools. Um, so that's on the code side. Um, what the criminals are also doing is they're building their own AI engines. The AI engines are free these days. And the car and the, the, the CPUs to, to run them are very, very inexpensive. For $500 or $1,000, you can download a free tool from Hugging Faces and download some training data, but also feed it your own training data. You know, as we briefly mentioned earlier, you can release uh, data, you can use data that other hackers are exchanging on the dark web. Hey, I've got all this data that I just stole. You know, you want to create some targeted phishing or targeted zero days, here's the data, and they'll leverage that for their language model. So that's on the creation of, the, of, their, of their code and their tools. On the phishing side, because the latest AI engines, they have 155 IQ. They're passing our SATs. They're passing advanced English. They're passing the bar. You know, they're passing the legal bar. So using those engines to create uh, plausible sounding English focused uh, phishing emails is trivial now. Now they're extremely plausible. Uh, the English is at, a, at an extremely high level. The code that they're using is, is potentially zero days or exploits that uh, AI engines have created. And the only way to battle those is once again, bring a bigger artificial intelligence gun to the AI gunfight. So lots of fascinating ways there from trying to use AI and these generative AI products that we've spoken about in previous episodes to sort of craft emails and, and phishing attempts, but also uh, partly also to, to write parts of code. Um, not the whole code, because these these sort of AI models have checks and balances to stop them, but write parts of code. I thought that was absolutely fascinating mm. as well. Yeah, to me, it just feels like it's sort of fast tracking the could potentially fast track a problem which is already bad enough and sort of take it, you know. Yeah, so and it means and it means you know the defenders, the the cybersecurity firms and the companies, they they themselves need to try to be one step ahead and and have the technology to sort of counter the technology that hackers are using. So that's a big and so when we talk about the future. Of ransomware and what comes next, that is a huge thing. That is a huge part of the puzzle is how to defend against perhaps attacks that get a bit more sophisticated, um, that are becoming more often, um, and that are becoming more tailor-made thanks to AI. Those are things that that they're going to have to deal with. And um, you know, I I read that stat about you know ransomware expected to cost its victims around two hundred sixty-five billion annually by twenty thirty-one. You know, that is an explosion. Are happening uh, in terms of the amount of ransom that's going to be um, demanded, and I think also that is probably going to be fueled partly by AI. 
Okay, well, uh, we'll leave that story there. Actually, uh, w- w- one other thing, um, I don't know if you saw, I'm sure maybe our, some of our listeners did, but uh, the British Library were uh, victims of a ransomware attack last week. Um, so it shows it's not just, you know, banks and um, other companies with personal information you know it's it's even libraries even libraries yeah um they are not safe they are not safe and you know maybe we don't know maybe the british library have millions and millions of pounds somewhere stashed away that we don't know about but i can't imagine the british library would be one to you know no i know (laughs) No, no one is safe that's yeah that's the message here okay let's find out what else is happening beyond the valley beyond the valley So Elon Musk and his social media platform X have been accused of promoting anti-Semitism in recent weeks. So it was with much interest that he spent time this week in uh, in Israel with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. What do you think the purpose of this visit was, Arjun? I think it was to try to show that he's not anti-Semitic, I think quite simply. Um, he declared his commitment to do what was necessary to stop the spread of hatred during this trip uh, was was what happened. Um, that was it. Uh, and I think it's just, just aside from from all the sort of politics and everything surrounding Elon Musk and, and, and the X platform at this point, I think it's it's fascinating how Elon Musk has tried to position itself as some sort of statesman, mm. you know, meeting with leaders of countries getting involved in in wars and and conflicts and almost and and then on the other side there are government leaders who just want to be seen with him who who feel that they need to be seen with Elon Musk because it shows that you know they're in touch with with what's happening online that they're also in touch with technology you know a lot of governments really want Elon Musk and Tesla to set up factories and 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 manufacturing in their countries and so he and and he's sort of lapping that all up and going around and and having conversations with prime ministers and presidents around the world it's it's just fascinating and and it does underscore i mean you know you don't see other technology leaders at all you don't see the the the, the googles and apples and meta ceos trying to do in fact they want to stay as far away as they can from politicians totally even someone who maybe is outspoken like mark zuckerberg you don't see him wading into conflicts or or trying to save you know kids from a cave in thailand do you you know it's almost like he gets drawn to it you know He, he can't help himself but you know be try to whether it comes from a good place, trying to help or trying to learn, um, I think is a you know is up for debate. But um, whatever it is, or his motivations, he is in the news every week. Yeah, and there'll be smarter people than that, us that sort of break down the psychology behind it and and, and the motivations, etc. But but I think just just to just to make that point, this is somehow for some reason he sees himself as someone. Who, who who acts as a statesman figure. And I, I think, you know, this is on the extreme end, but undeniably in the past, I'd say, sort of four years or so, the world of technology and the world of politics has got more and more sort of intertwined um, and, and commingled. And I think under the presidency of, of Donald Trump um, in, in the US and his government's 
sort of sanctions on Chinese technology sector and the way those tech companies got dragged into politics, some of the export restrictions we see now um, from the US government, from the Biden administration on, on China, you know, because of all these kind of movements, tech, you know, is, is linked to politics now. It, and that's that's the new world that these business leaders have to deal with. Do you think Starlink had anything to do with his visit? Yeah, partly. Um, there was, uh, uh, I think, uh, last month, um, what we, where are we now? October, in October, I think. Musk had proposed using Starlink um, to support communication links in, in, in Gaza um, with with what he called internationally recognized aid organizations. And at the time, Israel actually objected, um, saying that uh, Hamas would end up using it for their activities. Um, and so um, apparently the two sides, Israel and Elon Musk, now have reached an agreement um, where sa Starlink satellite units can be operated in Israel and Gaza, but with the approval um, of the Israeli communications ministry. So that's the latest on that. So we'll see. So let's leave that story there. I'm sure we're we'll talking about Elon Musk next week, um, inevitably. Um, but uh, let's move on to ByteDance. Uh, the company that owns TikTok, if you didn't know, has cut hundreds of jobs from its gaming unit. Is this surprising news, Arjun, because we know that they've been trying to challenge other Chinese gaming giants like Tencent and NetEase? It's a little surprising in the sense that they've invested aggressively in this. And, and ByteDance is a company that has managed to put out popular products, the biggest one, TikTok, uh, globally in China, it's called Douyin. And they have other big, big... And so, so they know... They have a sort of insight into what's popular right now. So I thought, you know, gaming um, could be an area that um, they, they do well in. Uh, and they uh, they invested aggressively. In 2021, they uh, bought a, a gaming studio, a mobile gaming studio called Moonton for about $4 billion. Um, huge. They, they hired aggressively. But I think their push came at a difficult time. Um, during the last sort of uh, three years or so, the gaming sector in China's had a bit of a, a tough regulatory crackdown on it. On top of that, what you saw is the gaming sector reached some, some new peaks during the, the height of the COVID pandemic where a lot of people were staying at home playing games. Uh, and as the economies open up, including China's, it began to open up and people were staying home less, um, you know, those gaming companies weren't doing as well. And so that's what's happened. So it's it's a it's a combination of macro environment, regulatory environment, but also, look, to do well in gaming, you need to have hits, constant hits and big titles that do well. And then you also need to have a sort of a, a backlog of games that people are just stuck to for years. So if you look at a company like Tencent, which is one of the biggest gaming companies in the world, uh, they're also out of China. They've got a game called Honor of Kings, which is just regularly in, in China's top grossing game list. Uh, that's been around for years and they continue to bring out new versions of it and build on that franchise, um, etc. And that's something that uh, ByteDance hasn't been able to replicate. A bit like Call of Duty, it had a great hit and it just continues to repeat those version a version of Call of Duty. Um, and as we saw from previous episodes, um, it made Activision Blizzard a lot of money. So It did. It did. And it made Microsoft pay a lot of money for Activision. <laughs> Um, okay, uh, we'll leave it there. But before we finish, of course, it's Stat of the Week. 
Yeah, so I've, I feel like I've made it quite easy for you these past few weeks. Um, so it's a bit harder. 1.7 million. I love that it's not $1.7 million. It's just no, it's $1.7 million. It. Yeah, just very, very. Okay. The number of people that were victims of cyber attacks in 2022 in the UK? No. It's, it's, it's more staggering than that, actually. So this is from a cybersecurity report from a firm called Astra. 1.7 million. There are 1.7 million ransomware attacks every day. No. Which means every second... Globally. Is that, is that globally, yeah. Which means every second, 19 ransomware attacks. There's 19 happening right now. And now. And now. So <laughs> that's... so that, depressing. I mean, that's, it, is, it is terrible. That is the extent of the problem. Uh, what a way to finish the podcast. Thanks, Arjun. Yeah, nice happy note. Well, just keep... It will make sure that everyone's very vigilant as they move into the Christmas period yeah. and the holiday season. Just stay alert, people. Stay alert. It's 19 seconds. Report those emails. 19 every second <laughs> report those emails yes exactly report them um okay that's it for this episode um before you go uh, just a final reminder if you have any questions on cyber attacks or how to protect yourself talk to a professional but we're happy to answer <laughs> if you want to ask us uh but yeah email in at beyond the valley at cnbc.com uh thank you arjun thank you tom we'll be back next week for another episode of beyond the valley goodbye Beyond the Fabric.